0: Biblical wisdom reminds us that life-changing events can happen and that calamities can emerge that take down entire cultures and redefine what it means to be alive here on this earth. However, these events are not the end and life will continue. God has constantly been telling his people to rise up, to keep living, and to make vows with him who made the heavens and the earth. This is an order that we, as his people, that we might have the means and the understanding and wisdom needed to endure. Today, we're going to begin studying the Babylonian exile and looking at Daniel the character and understanding how the people of God, like Daniel, learned to persevere and do the work of God after great and terrible events came and destroyed their homeland. And as we look at the Jewish people being captives and outcasts, we can learn how those who were young, they woke up in a new day. They learned what it meant to be righteous in the face of people who wanted them to bow down to idols. So thank you for joining me. Welcome to Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure. I am Pastor J. Dillon Proctor, and let's open up with prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, wherever we may be, I ask that you come, give us your strength, wisdom, and encouragement that we could persevere as righteous men and women who are living out our lives in a Christ-like fashion. Lord, send your Holy Spirit to convict us and keep us close to you. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Today, we're going to begin by looking at Daniel, and we're going to read verses 1 through 13. And we're going to have a bit of a cliffhanger there at the end, because what happens between that test that Daniel lays out there and the results of it has a break of time in between it. And sometimes we have to take leaps of faith where we don't see an immediate return on our leap of faith. Sometimes it takes patience. So let's go ahead and begin reading Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord let King Jehoiakim of Judah fall into his power, as well as some of the vessels of the house of God. And these he brought into the land of Shinar and placed the vessels in the treasury of his gods. Then in verse 3, The king commanded his palace master, Ashfinaz, to bring some of the Israelites of the royal family and of the nobility. Young men without physical defect and handsome, versed in every branch of wisdom, endowed in the knowledge and insight, and competent to serve in the king's palace. They were to be taught the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of royal rations of food and wine, and they were to be ed- educated for three years so that at the end of that time they could be stationed in the king's court. Among them were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah from the tribe of Judah. And the palace master gave them other names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the royal rations of food and wine. So he asked the palace master to allow him not to defile himself. Now, God allowed Daniel to receive favor and compassion from the palace master. And in verse 10, the palace master said to Daniel, I am afraid of my lord, the king. He has appointed for you food and for you drink. If he should see you in poorer condition than the other young men of your own age, you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel asked the guard whom the palace master had appointed over him, and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, He said, please test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. You can then compare our appearance with the appearance of the young men who eat the royal rations and deal with your servants according to what you observe. We're going to end right there. Because what Daniel is asking is something that will take a while to see some results from. So we're going to take a break from our text, and we're going to be studying Daniel for a little while, so we'll pick up there in the future. But what we've read so far in Daniel really has two images. The first two verses give us an image of Jerusalem's fall, where the king of God's people fell into one of history's most savage conquerors. The vessels of the house of God, which include the Ark of the Covenant with the Ten Commandments, these holy and sacred things, they were placed into a treasury of fake gods. And this was a moment that was degrading and insulting for all of the people of God. The second image that we see here in Daniel chapter 1 is one that is much more personal. This is the image where we find Daniel waking up in a new era. It is a moment where he must decide what man he will be now that he has been placed in a terrible situation that is beyond his control. You see, in life we don't always have a lot of control about the macro elements in the world, but we do have control over who we will be as an individual. We must decide who we will be in the moment that we are living in. When we look at the world around us, whether we're looking in history or we're looking in our current situation, we must recognize the fact that wicked people will take advantage of an already bad situation. Moreover, if people are not spiritually healthy, good people can be led down a dark pathway. Nebuchadnezzar, who is a great and terrible villain from history, he was not the villain that started the conquest of Jerusalem. The people of God had been unfaithful and spiritually unhealthy for generations when Pharaoh Necho II rose from Egypt and killed King Josiah. Nebuchadnezzar was the villain who took advantage of an already terrible situation. So the big picture that we look at is an unhealthy people made compromises and then they came conquered. Well, that was the big picture of how the people of God fell. But the personal story of Daniel was unfolding, and he had to decide if that big picture, that big letdown where people were unfaithful, they made compromises, they sacrificed to other gods, they bowed down to other idols, if he would let that define who he was as an individual. Because Daniel has no control over what the entire house of Israel does, but Daniel has control over who he is. He can't really answer for the past and give an account for that. He can't really plead guilty or innocent to the deeds of the past. But he can make a decision about who he will be. And Daniel, being a faithful young man, he said no to this future where the people of God were continually conquered and bowing down to idols. Daniel said no to that future. Daniel was going to be committed to God. And just because he was in Babylon didn't mean he was going to bow down. He was not going to let his future change because an official of Babylon thought he knew more about Daniel than Daniel did. He was going to listen to an official of Babylon who wanted him to do otherwise. So Ashpenaz desired for Daniel, along with the other young youths, to be pleasing to the eye of the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. Now it's unlikely that Ashpenaz would have considered that to be defiling to Daniel, because again, a lot of these times, they people like this, they're polytheists, they think, well, you can come here, you can worship, you can bow down to golden statues and get involved with all the gods of Babylon and still be loyal to your God, right? Why would it be defiling for you to do this? We're all coming together to coexist. You're conquered. This is how things go. So if I'm honest about the text, I, I really don't think Ashpenaz would have considered it defiling to Daniel. And that's simply because his priorities and understanding of the world were fundamentally different than Daniel's. But Daniel realized something that Ashkenaz's dietary requirements did not. Daniel realized that they were more than what they appeared to be because they were, in fact, spiritually defiling. Often in life, Christian people find themselves being tempted to structure their lives by the standards of the world and to live their lives by the morals of the world. But the truth is that the morals of the world, they don't have godly priorities. They don't have a godly understanding of the world. And those out there who try to convince us to go along with whatever is suggested, they don't have the same premise that we do. They don't understand the premise that such things are not a spiritual matter. And we must look at the world with a clear Christian conscience And when I say clear, I don't just mean that we're free of things in the past, but also where we see the world clearly and we have a good metric of what is good, what is godly, what is righteous, and also what is sinful, chaotic, uh, suffering, and evil. We need to have a clear metric and clear understanding of those things. Daniel, in this text, he is told that he will be unhealthy if he does not defile himself by surrendering to the king's command. Furthermore, This whole argument that's sold to Daniel, it is taken to the point where he's told others will die if Daniel does not keep up his health by following the king's orders. Now, I know when I read that text earlier, I kind of used a, a little bit more serious voice for Ashfinaz, but in truth, you need to use a bit more of a snake manipulative voice, which, again, I'm not a very good voice actor, so you kind of get what you get. But I kind of get the idea when I read through this text that Ashpenaz is not just making a request of Daniel, but that he's actually being manipulative. And one of the reasons that I say that is because he throws in there this threat that other people are going to die if Daniel does not do what he is told. Again, he simply says, Daniel, you're going to be unhealthy if you don't defile yourself by surrendering to Nebuchadnezzar and others will die. You'll have that guilt on your conscience. This really is the argument that is being sold to Daniel in an attempt to get him to fully surrender to Nebuchadnezzar's command. If you understand anything about the Babylonian exile and really the role that Nebuchadnezzar has in this, is that it is all about idolatry. Who is God and how do you serve him? Nebuchadnezzar throughout his life tries to assert that he is God, and it ultimately takes a breaking point for him as a man to be sent out to the wilderness where he has time to rethink. When you even look throughout the history of the people of God, they are always wrestling with idolatry. And there's a reason why the Ten Commandments are structured like they are. Idolatry, this idea of having someone other than the Lord God of all creation at the top of your moral compass, when you do that, when you start degrading using the Lord's name in vain, when you have graven images, golden calves, whenever you start tampering in idolatry, you always start to find the other sins coming and unfolding in mass. Daniel is told that he will be unhealthy if he does not bow down to the idol of Nebuchadnezzar. And even though the golden statue does not appear in chapter 1, its essence and its sentiment is nonetheless here. Daniel is threatened that he will be unhealthy if he does not recognize Nebuchadnezzar as all-powerful, almighty, and all-knowing. And there really is an element of manipulation to all this. Do you really think the Babylonian officials would believe that the Jewish youths will starve if they eat the Jewish diet? Because if you really understand what's going on here, which we don't get a lot of details, but I would imagine it's something to the effect of the king wants them to to drink wine, maybe have pork, to do things that are against the Jewish code. Because again, there's a lot of um, dietary things built into what is considered clean and unclean in the Jewish law. And the Jewish people, they have lived for hundreds of years on their diet. And the fact that Daniel is threatened with the guilt of others' death and the threat that he will be unhealthy if he continues to do something, which people have done for a long, long time, is really a bit ridiculous. And you kind of get the sentiment that the only reason that Ashvinaz brings up the whole idea that he'll be decapitated is just because he's trying to manipulate Daniel. He's trying to make him feel guilty. He's trying to, to pull some strings to get Daniel to bow down. He wants him to realize how serious it is for the Babylonians to surrender to Nebuchadnezzar, and Daniel needs to do that too. But despite all of this, Daniel resolves to act on his faith, to actually live out his faith in a manner that will have real-world consequences. See, a lot of times people will make moral stands when it's easy, when you're not really making a moral stand, but it's kind of just a, a virtue signal, fake shadow moral. But when you actually start putting some real-world consequences to it, that's when you start seeing who people really are. Daniel, in this moment, if he is wrong in his faith, then all sorts of terrible things could happen to him, and a lot of suffering could come to other people. Maybe Ashvinaz could really be decapitated over this. Who knows? There could be real-world consequences from this. So Daniel has to decide what is going on in a world that really doesn't seem terribly clear. He can kind of tell that he's being manipulated, but he also has some clear things to go on. He knows that God is the God of all creation, that people have lived well on his law, and they have lived well when they have ate his dietary commandments. So Daniel now has a choice to make. Will he go with the clear metric he has, which has been handed down through the traditions of the Jewish people, or will he bow down to this murky manipulation where there's not clearly truth what's going on, where he can't really answer for what the future is going to be, even though he knows he's here in Babylon, who is he going to bow down to and who is he going to let be law in his life? And the reason why I bring up the word law is because it is something which is a metric. We as individuals, we must decide who we will be and by whose law we shall live. If Daniel is willing to serve Nebuchadnezzar, does that mean he has to recognize Nebuchadnezzar as God and that suddenly all laws, all the laws of nature are written by Nebuchadnezzar? Daniel takes in a stand where he says, I'm in Babylon, I'm not in Jerusalem. Who knows what Daniel even knows of Jerusalem? Daniel makes a stand where he is willing to serve Nebuchadnezzar, but he's not going to go against God's law. He's not going to go against the laws of nature and nature's God. He is going to surrender to God, but he will serve Nebuchadnezzar in the here and now. And those two things, they kind of might seem like they're in contradiction, but Daniel takes two things to a place where there is some some tension there. So he says, I'll be a blessing to you and the people of Babylon, but when it comes to matters of faith, when it comes to the point of you actually wanting me to cross the line and defile myself, that's when I'm going to say no. So Daniel does a good job of drawing lines and saying, this is where I can serve you and bless you, but when you actually start wanting me to defile myself, that's where I am saying no. And you can only do that if you have clear lines. Daniel was not willing to surrender himself to Babylon to the point that it caused him to defile and harm himself. The world is perpetually asking us to defile ourselves while assuring us that it will be good for us to do it. That's really what... Ashpenaz is doing. is saying, Daniel, defile yourself. It'll be healthy for you to defile yourself. Loving God right now means defiling yourself. But that's not true. That's never true. And the only way that we can wisely persevere through these things and have some clarity to see that it's not actually in contradiction to be in Babylon because you have no control over that. And that's the thing. We've got to realize the things we have control over and things we don't. So he's not just in Babylon, and that suddenly changes everything. He's in Babylon, but he's still a man of God, and he's going to be a man of God and be a blessing to the people where he's at. He has no control over where he's at and the people he's around. He can still be a blessing, but he is not going to defile himself. You can only see clearly in these moments if you have those clear metrics. So the only way we, as people living today, we can wisely persevere through this moment is if we have clarity about what God wants us to do and what God does not want us to do. We have to be sure about what is godly and what is not. Daniel can only keep himself from being defiled if he has a strong understanding of what is required of a godly man. And as we look towards the future of a new era, as we look around the world with everything that's changed from this coronavirus, which again, there's a good chance that there's going to be some permanent changes to our society from this. And even right now, while things are still generally shut down, we must start with our own households and have a firm understanding of what godliness looks like and then start stepping out in the world and saying, we bow down to God and the laws he has given us, not just whatever is told to us. We may not see the results of our faith immediately, but God's providence will be with us if we are willing to live by his wisdom and his commandments. And that's where we're going to wrap up our message today. Now, I have a guest in the studio. I have one other, Pastor Mike, and um, I hope your microphone is on, Pastor Mike. I know you've got the... It's on. Okay, wonderful. Well, Pastor Mike Proctor, who is my father and the pastor of Grays Chapel Church of the Nazarene, he's here to join in the conversation looking at our discussion questions. Now, for those of you who have read online where we've got our kind of online home study guide packet, we're going to be looking at a few different questions here about Daniel and tragedy and things of that nature. So, Pastor Mike, thank you for joining us. Let me throw this first question to you. Where have we seen great
1: tragedies in the past that changed how people lived? Well, I think we can look back to the Holocaust and World War II, the, the uh, event of genocide trying to take place there. And we no longer live the same after that. Uh, there are other places and wars and things that we can look at, but I think probably the, the greatest event that has changed all of humanity is the death and resurrection of Christ Jesus. Mm. And, uh, you know, that great tragedy of the cross, God took that and made great things to happen out of that with the resurrection and the atonement for our sins to bring us in right relationship yeah sure certainly and you kind
0: of took things in the macro angle which is a wonderful angle to take this but also people have great tragedies in their life where they lose a loved one parents that have lost a child and life is forever changed after that that's a doomsday calamity that people have that they have to learn how to wake up on a new day afterwards
1: yeah, absolutely and you know we we see people who have lost uh, loved ones and again life is no longer the same. They the, the way they live their life, the the way they wake up, their routines are different. So having someone you love that is very close to you, losing them uh, really does change life from that point forward, but the good news is again the hope we find in a God who loves us. Yeah. Well, the second question,
0: why was it a big deal for Daniel to eat, or not to eat, the king's diet?
1: What are your thoughts on that, Pastor Mike? Well, I think that we start with the very essence that God is king. Uh, That is the gospel. Jesus is king. And as a Trinitarian uh, believers, we look back to at the very beginning when God created heaven and earth, and we are that image that says you know, this is the, the the basically the image and statue the, the, that says, "This is my king. This is my uh, kingdom. This is my world, my creation." And uh, as we look further in scriptures, and when we get to the Exodus event, and God gives the law, and I like to call that instructions or divine orders. And when I say kings give orders, and 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 just as we see. This is really a battle between who is your king, yeah. who who is Daniel's king, and that divine order that we're called to maintain is it's 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 saying you are not my god, Nebuchadnezzar's not my god, but my god is the god that created heaven and earth, yeah. and his instructions, his divine order is. For me to maintain, and it's not just a physical thing, but it's a spiritual um, place for me to live. Yeah. And and so it's not like the law is a burden, but it is really a means of God's grace that places us in in a relationship where we are that image, that we are His subjects, that He is the King not just of this life, as we soon learn with Jesus being the king, an eternal life. And, you know, I don't reckon Daniel knew and understood all of that, but he did find faithfulness. And when we see the word faith, it is uh, connected with loyalty. And so he's loyal to God. Yeah. So, So the third question,
0: was Daniel's resolve not to eat the king's diet, a leap of faith, or do you think he was certain that the traditional Jewish diet was sufficient?
1: Uh, it, it was a leap of faith, and, and it, it is a faith and a loyalty, as I said, to his God, to his you know, eternal king there, and whether it does or whether it doesn't, he's going to remain faithful. Yeah. And so I think the bigger statement is, you know, it, it's not so much about how he may, he, he places his faith and says, God will deliver me. And if I maintain the divine order, I will be, you know, he, he will flourish physically. Sure. So when in
0: life do we make decisions of faith where we don't see the immediate results? Well, it's again, changing a diet. That's not something that you see immediate results with, though Daniel is, asking not to have that, but it still is something where this sort of thing you don't see an
1: immediate change usually. Well, I, I think one of the hardest and most difficult places is to be loyal when, when God, in Christ Jesus, on the cross, you know, he says, forgive them for they do, know not what they do. And we are called to carry our own cross, that is to forgive others. And I think that is one of the hardest places to find that leap of faith, to be patient, to be loyal, to forgive others and say, you know, this is really that, that order, that divine order that God calls me to. It is the new instruction, the law. It is something where the world says, no, you need to take on vengeance and get back. But for us as Christians, we are called to forgive and to love. But that doesn't mean it's not painful. The cross that Jesus experienced was extremely painful. Don't think for a minute that it wasn't. And yet his obedience, his faithfulness, his loyalty to the Father also brought life, a resurrected life. And we are called to follow that example of Christ by dying not only to sin, but also dying to the gods that surround us. And one of the ways we do that is forgiving our brothers and sisters. Yeah. Well, with that, thank you for joining us. Let's have a closing prayer. Gracious Heavenly
0: Father, I ask that you be with each and every one of us who are listening to this message, those who have come to contemplate the book of Daniel and what it means to to overcome difficult situations. Lord, I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit. Let us be the men and women that you have called us to be. Lord, bless us wherever we may be and keep us all of one heart and mind. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. And on that note, God love you and have a blessed day.